Well, good morning, everybody. We are going to look at a story that deals with life and death and everything in between, but to be honest, it's, a, it's sort of a bizarre story. It's strange in that everything you expect to occur doesn't happen, and the story takes radical departures from where uh, the normal kind of Bible story like this would go. It comes to us in the middle of the Gospel of John, which is a biography of the life uh, of Jesus, and it begins, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, uh, if you're familiar with the Gospel accounts, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that, like, this is a cue. If someone is sick, they're blind, they're paralyzed, they have leprosy, uh, that's letting you know Jesus is about to show up and heal the person. Like, that, those stories happen again and again and again in the gospel accounts. The story's not gonna do that. It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna take some twist. Now, the, the, the main characters in this story are, of course, Jesus, but then the, the three that are introduced here, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So they're brothers and sisters, they love each other, and uh, they know Jesus. We get a little more information about them in verses two and three. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So two sisters, a brother, brother is sick to the point of death. And in this, we get a sort of glimpse at the the humanity of Jesus, because often when we picture Jesus in our minds, we often uh, divorce him from sort of like human emotion and relationships and friendships. But in this passage, you see, Jesus is is friends with these guys. Like, he would have gone over to their house, they hung out, they, they ate food together, they probably told Bible stories and asked questions back and forth. And now Lazarus, whom the Lord loves because he's a good friend, is sick and the sister sin for Jesus, which makes sense because if you have a friend who goes around healing people and giving sight to the blind and your brother's sick, you might wanna go get that guy. Like you might wanna go get him. It goes on. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now this is where it starts to get really strange. It almost doesn't make sense. And if you just read it kind of quickly and you're not paying close attention to the details, you'll miss it. But did you catch this? Lazarus is sick, he's dying. And it says that because Jesus loves these three friends so much, he loves them, that he decides to wait another two days before he goes over there. It's like, it's really easy to miss, but it's strange. So he waits the two days and then him and his disciples have some back and forth and eventually he tells disciples, the disciples, okay, now it's time to go. But listen to what he tells them when they finally get up to leave. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Remember, he just said, don't worry, he's not sick unto death. A Couple verses later, he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. It's bizarre. It's really bizarre. Remember, he waits two days before he goes out, after he gets the message that his friend is sick. It gets even more strange. Now, when Jesus came, he finally shows up. He gets there. It says, he found that Lazarus has already been dead in the tomb four days. 
Now, the chronology is a little bit confusing here, so you've got to slow down because at first glance, what you see is something like this. Jesus got the message that his friend was sick, and he waited two days. If he didn't wait, Lazarus would be alive. Jesus waited, Lazarus died, and, and now we're in this horrible situation. But you've got to kind of do the math in between. So a messenger went out, go get Jesus. Okay. Jesus waits two days, and then he goes. And it says that he's been dead in the tomb for four days. So even if Jesus left at the precise moment of that messenger telling him the news, Lazarus would have been dead for two days. Wouldn't have mattered. So then why does he wait? And why does he wait? Because he loves them. It's, it's, it's strange. Now, there's all kinds of debate, and people say it's this reason or, 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 or it's this reason, and, and certainly there's probably a couple views that are all kind of containing some sort of the truth of it. But here's the thing. This is what we do know. No matter what, where you go in this, um, Lazarus being dead for four days means he's like dead, dead. Um, if, he, if you show up on day one and Lazarus was just passed, and some miracle would occur, you could say, oh, Jesus just healed the sickness, or Jesus resuscitated him. Uh, He's not like truly, completely dead. And so the miracle sort of would have been diminished. Now, after four days, you need to understand that death overwhelms the senses. And I mean the senses literally. When you see the one whom you love laying there after four days, you see a body beginning to decompose. The touch is dead cold. There is no breath, there is no life. And even the senses of smell are engaged. You smell the decaying body of your loved one. So in this scene, there is an overwhelming sense of death. It's palpable, it's there, it's thick. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now imagine the waiting at this moment. Like Mary and Martha, they love their brother, they love Jesus, they're friends, they're good friends, they sent word, but now they're watching their brother die. And we don't know exactly what killed him or what type of illness, but you can assume it was horrific and painful, especially in the ancient world. So you are seeing your brother whom you love suffer, agonize. You see death getting closer and closer and you just picture those two sisters. Jesus, when are you gonna get here? Jesus, when are you gonna show up? Please, Jesus, get here. Jesus, get here. I know if you're here, things will be okay. Just show up. Please get here. Where are you, Jesus? Where are you? And they wait and they wait and their brother dies and they still wait. And after four days of waiting, Jesus finally shows up. And the first sister's response, Martha says, Lord, if you, have, if you had been here, if you had been here, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Now this is where the story starts to, to do stuff to us. Because it's not just Martha making the statement, Lord, if you would have been here. It's not just her question, where were you when we needed you? She is suffering and she is wrestling with God's absence and God's silence. Where are you? God, if you were here, if you loved me, if you loved Lazarus, if you loved my sister, we were friends, if you were good, if you were kind, you would have been here. And at that point, her statement is your statement. 
because we've all been here, right? Lord, where were you? Where were you when I needed you? Did you do you love me? Do you care? Are you good? I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I got silence. Where were you? Lord, if you would have been here, this horrible thing would not have happened. So Martha's statement and her wrestlings and her questions become ours. And the reason why death is so bad is that its sting is incredibly painful because there's, there's something permanent about it. Death is the ultimate goodbye. You know, it's not like goodbye, I'll see you next week or I'll see you next summer. There, there's, there, there's a nature to it and that nature has a level of, of permanent nature. It's the ultimate goodbye and it's the source of so many of the questions we ask, so many of the whys in life, right? Why this, why that, why did this happen? Why didn't you do this, Lord? So it's a source of final goodbyes, a source of questions and whys. Lord, if you would have been here, this would not have happened. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So this woman, in, in, in the midst of her sorrow, still has great faith. She's like, I know whatever you ask, Jesus, your Father in heaven will answer. Jesus says, your brother's going to rise. And then Martha responds with what we'll call the Sunday school answer. She goes, yes, Lord, I know. On the last day in the resurrection, he will rise. So Jewish thought in the first century for, for a woman like Martha is very similar to ours. Uh, there's some different categories and different nuances, ways of understanding it. But, but succinctly said, there's like this evil present age, and then there's going to be an age to come. And they called the evil present age the Olam Hazeh and the Olam Haba was the age to come. In the Olam Haba, there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous and God will right the world of its wrongs and his glory will fill the earth. So, so when she says this, it's sort of like, yes, yes, Lord, I know in the end, I'll see my brother. Um, it's sort of like when you've experienced great loss, uh, you, you sort of, tr you attempt to console yourself with, I know they're in a better place. That statement is true, and it's somewhat encouraging, but it, you know that in the midst of deep loss, you're just, you're just trying to muster up whatever little slogan you can give yourself to, to get enough strength just to face the day. I know they're in a better place, but man, the separation hurts. That goodbye hurts immensely. Jesus responds to her statement with one of the most remarkable historical claims. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So this woman was looking forward to a future event. And what does Jesus say? He says, you are looking for a future event but this resurrection and life thing is not found in a future event, it's found in my very being. It's in my personhood. I am the resurrection, I am the life. I am the source and substance to life itself. Don't look forward to a future event, life itself stands before you. This is incredibly important. His claim is incredibly important because he's not just saying I can heal people and, and, and maybe raise someone from the dead. He's saying he's the source of life itself. And deep down, 
That's actually what we want and desire. Because here's the thing. Let's say Jesus gets there in time and he heals Lazarus. All that does is prolong the inevitable. Lazarus will get sick again and die. Or at best, he lives a great long life and in his old age he dies in his sleep. But death's still coming for him. When someone is healed or someone is delivered, you are merely prolonging the inevitable. And the scary sad truth is the monster that is death will come to everyone's door. Every single person, every single person in this room will at one point in their life look death in the eye. And so uh, it's good to pray for healing and for God to give us more time because we know that a few more days or a few more years or a few more decades, that stuff matters, it really does but it doesn't deal with the root of the problem. Ultimately, that just prolongs the inevitable conclusion that waits for every last one of us. But Jesus is saying something fundamentally different. He's not just saying, I can heal people or bring you back from the dead. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you see the difference? Jesus is not promising a way out of death. Jesus is promising a path in and through death with victory on the other side. It's not just prolonging the inevitable. It's defeating the source and substance and coming out on the other side. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of the others said, come, could he not, he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? And so this scene is one of overwhelming sadness. Tears upon tears, sorrow after sorrow. Martha is crying, Mary is crying, the Jewish folk who came from Jerusalem to console the sisters, they're crying. And when Jesus sees all of that human suffering, he begins to weep. It is a scene of sorrow upon sorrow. Everyone is weeping and crying. But Jesus is also angry. He's angry. Now this one's hard to see, but there's a phrase that says he was deeply moved, and sometimes it says deeply troubled, the Greek is embri maomai, and probably a better translation than deeply moved is indignant. All throughout the rest of the New Testament, it's a, it's a word of frustration and anger. You may ask, he's crying and he's sad and he has sorrow, but why is he angry and indignant? There's all kinds of kind of different interpretations. Some would say, uh, he's mad at the people who don't believe. Some would say he's mad at these people who are saying, he opened the eyes of the blind, but he didn't save this man. And those are all certainly possibly true, but also, Jesus is seeing the full weight of human suffering. And it's as if he's, he's angry and indignant because this is part and par parcel with his very mission. Jesus came to defeat the forces of Satan, sin, and death. He came to do away with brokenness and hurt and pain and grief and loss. He knows his... He did not create the world to function in this manner, but now it's gone to this big mess and he sees immense human suffering and he's angry. This is why he came, to defeat the power of sin and death. It's a scene of immense sorrow, 
Now, did you notice what the other sister said? Mary, Lord, if you had been here, but rather than respond with some faith like the, the other sister Martha did, like, Lord, I believe, it's just sorrow. It's just weeping. We can't be certain, but maybe, maybe Martha had a little bit more faith. We don't know. But she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, and now she is feeling and experiencing the full weight of the human condition. But what makes it worse is that she is a faithful Israelite. She knows the scripture. She knows the Hebrew scripture. She knows the stories in the Old Testament. She knows that the very reason why there's sin and death and brokenness in the world is because humanity invited it in. God didn't create the world in this manner. Death is a foreign intruder, but it's an intruder that was invited by humans. And humanity every day contributes to sin and brokenness and death. So it's like worse news. Not only is there these horrible things unleashed upon creation, we're the ones who invited it in. Like we're, we're a part of the problem. The question is, will God abandon his children in the mess that they made? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And so Martha maybe still has doubts, which is like totally understandable. Lord, if we open that tomb, the smell's gonna be overwhelming. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, we don't know what people were thinking then. I'm sure there were some people who had a little bit of faith to believe. Some people are like, come on. Some people are probably upset. This guy's just leading these two sisters along. This is horrible. And we don't know how long it took. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. They roll away the tomb. Is it 30 seconds? Is it a minute? Is it five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? Whatever it is, there's this like anticipation of like what is about to happen. And then out of the silence, there's motion. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Now again, you have to understand John is doing something here. Uh, Jesus is directly speaking about Lazarus. Unbind this man, death will not hold him. However, simultaneously, that is a preview of what Jesus will do for the whole of humanity. Unbind him, death will not hold him. And the mission of Christ was to speak to death itself and say of concerning humanity, unbind them, you will have no claim on them. So we're getting a little preview. But you also have to understand the nature of the preview because it is just a preview. And so even though that this is some great miracle where Lazarus comes back from the dead, as we said, Lazarus will still die. Like he's, he's healed and then he's gonna get some other sickness that kills people in the ancient world and he'll die. Or he lives to an old age 
and then he dies. But ultimately, we're still dealing with a prolonging of the inevitable. We're just pushing it back. And whether it comes when you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90, we're begging for just a little bit more time, prolonging the inevitable. What we need, what we truly need, is someone to go into the source and substance of death itself, the great hideous monster of old. We need someone to go in it and through it and defeat it. We don't need someone to just prolong our days, but we need someone who can give us life and victory after death, in and through with victory on the other side. So Jesus gives this amazing preview. It's like a, it's like a shadow version. The raising of Lazarus is a, is a shadow. It's the outline of the fullness which is yet to come. Make no mistake about it, we need someone who doesn't just bring people back from the dead. We need someone who can defeat death itself. And so in a matter of days, and eight chapters later in the Gospel of John, Jesus will go into Jerusalem where he will do battle with Satan, sin, and death. He will go into the source and substance of it all. He will be betrayed, he will be abandoned by his friends, and ultimately the highest ruling authorities in the land will give the pronouncement, deliver him over to be crucified. Deliver him over to be crucified. Now, if death could ever manifest itself, in its worst possible terrible form, it would be crucifixion. This is death manifesting in its worst possible way. Jesus is beaten, mocked, shamed, tortured, flogged, and then nailed immovable to a Roman cross. And you have to understand that like, this was so bad that um, it, in Roman kind of polite talk or common talk, the word for cross was kind of outlawed. It was a no-no. You didn't say that out loud. Because if you ever saw someone suffering the agony of the cross, merely mentioning the word would trigger back the memories and you would just be overwhelmed with what was in your mind. We have a word in English, excruciating pain. Ex is out of, cruce is the Latin for cross. Excruciating literally means out of the cross. We literally invented words to describe the agony of the cross. And Jesus goes there. That's where he goes. And so in life, oftentimes, when we are overwhelmed and tempted and weak and fragile and frail, we say, God, where, where, like, where are you? You know, you've been there, right? Where were you? Why did you allow this to happen? This hurt me so bad. I don't think I could ever recover from this. If you loved Martha, you would have been there. If you loved Lazarus, you would have been there. If you loved Mary, you would have been there. If you loved me, you would have been there. If you were truly good, you would have done something about it. And so we ask, where are you? Like, we shake our fist into, in defiance against a God who we de- defied in the first place. But nevertheless, we feel justified in our accusation. Where are you? Where were you? So where was God? God was there on a cross, suffering in your place. Where was God? Writhing in agony on a cross in order to give you not death, but victory. What was God up to? What was his mission? He would come not to slay his enemies, but to die for them. Where is God when we needed him most? When you needed him most to deal with the greatest problems that you will ever face, 
you look to Christ suffering on the cross in your place, going into the source and substance of the great monster and problem. Now, remember, uh, Christ did not say, I, I, uh, I have the power to heal sick people or I can bring people back from the dead or even that I'm gonna come back from the dead, although he did say that. That's not the point. What was his claim? He said, I am in my person the resurrection. I in my constitution, in my being, am the life. He is the source of life. So, when a light bulb is turned on in a dark room, what happens to the darkness? Darkness is consumed. Like you flip a light on in a dark room, light consumes the darkness. What happens when life itself goes into death? Life itself consumes death. And in Jesus going into the grave, you are seeing a death sentence given to death. You are witnessing the death of death in the death of Christ. Death is consumed when it faces pure, unadulterated, uncompromised life. And so, Good Friday happens, the terrible, the terrible day of the crucifixion. But that leads to the single most important historical event to ever happen. Because death could not contain that which is pure life. And so three days later, on a Sunday morning, on the first day of the week, a different Mary, by the name of Mary Magdalene, comes to the tomb early while it's still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look to the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One had his head on the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? So have we been in this scene before? Have we been here before? The weeping, the crying, the sorrow upon sorrow. Mary has, has seen her Lord crucified. He's dead. And now on top of that, she thinks the body's gone. Like they're, they're shaming him even more by disrupting his burial. This is sorrow upon sorrow and she's weeping and we've been here before where it seems as if there is no hope. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have led him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus because um, sometimes in life there's things that are so good and so true, they're almost unbelievable. Too good to be true. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So follow this. Jesus calls forth Lazarus by name. Jesus calls forth Mary by name. And for all those who have put their faith in this Lord, he has called you forth by name. Out of darkness into light, out of death into life. Death can lay no claim of you. Your sin will not be held against you. He calls forth Lazarus by name, Mary by name, you by name. And for 2,000 years, he's been calling individuals by name, taking them from darkness into light. 
And on Easter Sunday, we get to celebrate with the countless millions upon millions upon millions of people who have had their lives changed by the one who called them out of the darkness and out of the grave. In the person of Jesus, not in a future event or in an ideology or a philosophy, in his very person, we witness the goodbye to the ultimate goodbyes, the end to all of the big whys that we wrestle with, the defeat of sin, and we see the death of death in the death of Christ. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, death's going to come for all of us. Like, it's so funny, we're strange people. Like, it's this unavoidable thing that's sad and sorrowful and it's a monster, but we live most of our lives like trying to ignore it. But make no mistake about it, unless the Lord returns, we all will have to look death in the eye. And on that day, will you be overwhelmed with fear or will you be able to say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain? And at the end, when you look at the life you live and see faults and failures and sins and mistakes, will that sin overwhelm you and overtake you with guilt? Or will you say, therefore now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? And when death knocks on your door, will you look it in the eye and cower and sulk in fear? Or will you say, praise be to God because in Christ I am more than a conqueror. He is my victory and he is my champion. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So friends, there is a being at the center of all things who is pure light and pure life. He has no shadow, no turning. Shadows do not exist within him. He has no beginning and no end. He has no edges. And this being of infinite worth came low and near to us to die and to rise. Where was God when you needed him most? He is there on Friday, suffering on a cross in your place. Where is God when you needed him most? He is there Sunday morning, rising from the source and substance of our enemy. He is the crucified Lord, but also the resurrected Lord. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It is the single most important truth you can trust in. So believe in this truth. Jesus promised, in this world you will have trouble but take courage, take heart, for I have overcome the world. In other words, in the resurrection of Jesus, we get a preview of what God will do for all of his children. He will raise us up on the last day. And we have this hope because of the resurrection. We endure present suffering in light of a hope that is yet to come. So do you believe in it? You better believe in it as if your life depended on it, because it does. But thanks be to Christ who suffered in our place and rose on the third day. And we get to gather with saints all around the world and praise him for his victory on our behalf. Let's stand in worship.
Father God, uh, we give you thanks today for what you've done in and through the person of your son. I pray for every single believer in this room that they would be encouraged by your resurrection, they would be empowered by your spirit, that we would live faithfully in this in-between time where there is present suffering, but we have a glory to look forward to. And I pray for those who haven't trusted in you yet, who haven't bowed the knee to your son's lordship, that your spirit would convict them and convict them not just of, 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 of sin and, and things like that in their life, as, as, as horrible as that is, but also convict them to know deep in their spirit that you died in their place and have promised that there's a path in and through death with victory on the other side. We give you thanks today. You are worthy of worship. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of all glory and honor. We love you, Lord. We are a thankful people. In Jesus' name we pray.